We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Mortgage Matters with Misha, your source for real estate market updates and strategies and answers to your real estate lending questions. Now, to provide you with insight and help you navigate the constantly changing world of real estate lending, here's your host, financial services expert, Misha Dimitruk. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Misha Dimitruk, NMLS 694427 joining you once again to bring you all that is new and exciting in home lending. I hope everyone is having a great week. There is constant change in this industry, and I talk about that a lot because it is important that the people that you are working with, your professional team of advisors, is really able to keep their finger on the pulse of the shifts that are happening and to be able to use their professional experiences to guide you successfully. Things happen in transaction and shifts need to be made sometimes. And when that type of opportunity arises, do you know that the experts that you have hired can carry you through? It's something that we see more and more prevalent a need when the markets are shifting, when there are challenges that arise. And in all markets, there are challenges that arise. Reports come in, inspections, appraisals coming in um, with highlighting various issues. What we're starting to see is not a huge number, but some appraisals coming in with lower values. Now, that's not necessarily a a big red flag warning, but it is a different idea that has not been seen very much in the industry until lately. And that happens in two different aspects. It happens when buyers are not reaching as high in offering and the prices that properties are closing on are lower. But it also happens when buyers have overreached for a certain property and the appraisal just doesn't support it. The market cannot support it. Um, And maybe buyers are looking at comparables that don't necessarily align with how an appraiser would make determinations of what a value is. So when you're talking about putting in an offer on a property and when you're going through with your realtor, how to properly target a price that A, the sellers will appreciate and accept, and B, that will actually allow you to get the financing that you need on it by appraising at that purchase price. We want to make certain that you understand what it is that's actually being looked at and that your realtor is providing you with comps, comparables, comparable sales that have closed that are like and similar. The experience of your realtor is going to help them determine whether or not certain sales actually align with your property type. Um, If your property is outside of a city proper, if it's in what's called an unincorporated area, and they're using comparables that are within a city proper, those are not going to be considered like, and they can be relatively close in mileage as the crow flies, but if they are considered within a city and outside the city limits, those would be considered different in the eyes of an appraiser. And therefore, how you determine the value may not include that comparable. 
So definitely something to take into consideration for those of you who are looking to put in offers and wanting still to stretch that budget, and, but also wanting to make sure that your financing falls in line. Now, if your appraisal does not come in at the purchase price, what ends up happening is that your financing is based on the lower, the appraised value or the purchase price. So if the appraisal comes in lower than the purchase price, your financing is based on the appraised value. That means you'll have the opportunity to make up the difference that's needed in cash if you have a contingent free offer, meaning there's no opportunity for you to renegotiate, that's really going to be where the only opportunity you have is, is to come up with the additional cash. Oftentimes in these markets, we're seeing that sellers, agents are hip to the game and are saying, you need to show us that you have the ability uh, to produce enough cash to close should this non-contingent offer be accepted and the appraisal not come in at the purchase price. Uh, but something to be aware of and making sure that you understand what the difference between the comparables that have closed are and how they might affect your ability to get an appraisal at value. Now, last week's challenge, we talked about reverse mortgage and whether or not now was an excellent time to review that and take a deeper dive into it. I received a couple of really great phone calls and two text messages. Um, I received a, a phone call from Theodora in Oakland and she let me know that she refinanced last spring and she elected to refinance into a reverse mortgage this year because she realized that having the ability to not make a payment on the principal amount of owed on her property. She would still continue to own the property. She still would maintain the taxes and insurance, and she'd still have the ability to stay in her home, which she was very concerned with, obviously. Um, but the concept being that the cash flexibility on a monthly basis really afforded her, and she used the word luxury, which I love, Theodora, but it really is, is very simple. It, she recalled it the luxury of having cash flexibility. It's really a matter of using your equity smartly. And that equity that she's worked hard for to pay her monthly mortgage, to pay down to that balance, and has worked 44 years, she told me, to keep this house going and to uh, you know, manage her expenses. And now is the opportunity for her home to work hard for her and to pay her back of in sorts, to give her that shelter and that security without the monthly expense. Um, so thank you, Theodora, for that call. Adam, I got a text from Adam wanting to let me know that uh, he set up a call with his kids for next week to get them dialed in on their understanding of reverse mortgage. And this was really a pointed text, uh, Adam. So thank you for sending that over because most of the resistance that I hear about in reverse mortgage, once people educate themselves on what reverse mortgage is truly and what it isn't, really comes down to the resistance of the heirs, the people who were slated to receive the property upon the passing of the original owners. And often we see people who are saying, well, hey, I, I don't want you to not pay down the mortgage for the next however many years that you're there. That just means I'm not getting a house that's owned free and clear when you pass away. And the concept that I always like to relay to those people who show resistance is, are you willing to step to the table financially and provide for their medical needs, for their grocery needs, for the expenses of maintaining the home if they fall short on cash because they're working on paying down the loan for you to be able to have the property. And oftentimes that's a stumbling conversation because they hadn't planned to participate in any way whatsoever until they received the property after someone passed away. So in that, I, I think when you are leaving your property to people who are um, 
you know, caring about you as a person or the people who own the property, and oftentimes it's parents and children, that they really get the message loud and clear that this allows them to take care of themselves and to use their hard-earned equity to support their lifestyle. And with people having living longer and more active lifestyles in their retirement life, this is a great opportunity for those people to really take a look at how they're going to live the rest of their lives. Uh, I received one other message from Amanda. Amanda wanted me to know that they are actually looking at reverse mortgage so they can retire early. And that sounds fantastic. The, the joy that was had in that message of the concept being, I don't have to continue to work this hard because there is an opportunity for me to stop working now and live a great life and, and start living that life now. So thank you everyone for always participating in the challenges these weeks. I, I love hearing from you and understanding how the information that I present to you really affects you and your families. Um, you know, again, to, to Adam, the concept of bringing the children in on this, you know, as many times we, we know as parents, when we're dealing with sharing information with our children, we're making the decisions that we feel the best about, but relaying to them uh, how that may affect them in the long run and how that information is received by them is definitely going to be key to everyone's happiness. So it's not a matter of keeping things in the shadows. We definitely don't want anyone to be left in the position where they didn't know that there was a mortgage on the property. And uh, so when they go to receive the property, they don't know what to do with it or how to manage it or that there is financing that's owed on it. It doesn't mean that the bank owns your house. As a homeowner, you still own the property all the way through as long as you reside there. And um, until you pass away in reverse mortgage, if you stay in the home through your demise. And so then that gives the, the next people who inherit the property the opportunity to step in and make the decision whether they're going to keep the property, finance the property again with their own means and pay off the reverse mortgage that's there, or whether they're going to sell the property outright. Either way, uh, it still allows them to receive a property and allows the original homeowner who took the reverse mortgage to stay in their home and to afford their lifestyle and to manage their expenses. And it's definitely an opportunity for a lot of the seniors out there in our marketplace. If you have more questions about reverse mortgage, please give me a call 831-435-0385. We have with us David Gomez. David is here to share with us a fantastic listing. David, how are you doing today? Hello. Hello. Hey, thanks, David. How's it going? Hey, good. How you doing, Misha? I am doing well, thanks. David, tell us about this listing that you have. So we have this beautiful home out in Carmichael. The property is... Okay. Uh, we lost David. We'll have him back here shortly to share about this fantastic listing. What a cliffhanger there, folks, right? We have a fantastic listing. Um, so uh, in regards to the conversation about reverse mortgage, it's definitely something to bring to the table. And we'll talk about it more as those opportunities continue to show up in the marketplace and benefit the seniors and their ability to enjoy their lifestyle. Now, always hot on the market is formal pre-approval. Formal pre-approval is the review of your income, your assets, your credit, all of your documentation to ensure that you qualify as a borrower. The property itself also has to qualify in a purchase, and that's done through the title work and through the appraisal. But we can, in advance, do a formal pre-approval for individual buyers and review all of their details and information and match up their qualifying criteria against the rules of the loan. In the loan industry, the rules are called guidelines, and it gives us a roadmap of sorts of how we are to look at 
people's income and asset and employment history and their credit and match that up against the rules or the guidelines of the loan that they're qualifying for or they're applying for. Now, in most sets of circumstances, people will apply and they believe that they are being formally pre-approved and fully underwritten. Oftentimes what we run into though is where someone applies, someone does a basic review of their information. They look, they might look at their income. They may not look very detailed at their assets and they review for credit score and they issue a letter based on that. It doesn't always go to underwriting. And we're seeing more and more where people are getting into contract based on a pre-approval letter and then once they're in contract and the file goes to a live underwriter, the underwriter reviews it and is finding a problem. If you are in the position where you are a buyer and you have a, what you believe is a formal pre-approval letter, I encourage you to ask directly, has this been underwritten by underwriting? Has it been reviewed directly by underwriting? Because if not, what you have is a pre-qualification that has just been written in a different letter format. And we want to make sure that you understand the difference of it, because without that documentation review, there could be problems that you run into down the road that had someone taken a look at it up front, you would know that you had to go a different route. Again, I like to relay to everyone, it's not if you can buy a home, it's when. We're going to take a break in just a moment, and we will be back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with Misha. This is Mortgage Matters with Misha with financial services expert, Misha Dimitruk. All right, how many of you have thought, I would love to make an investment that wasn't so volatile that I have to watch the markets every day, that the ticker tapes that are telling me stocks are up, stocks are down, that I'm monitoring every minutia within the industry. And that's where real estate investment comes into play and is a strong long-term strategy for those of you who want to have a tangible product to invest in. Now, for the greater Bay Area, we all know that with the housing shortage, we're not likely to have that alleviated anytime soon. And the benefit of owning an investment property is that you will be assured a very steady stream of qualified tenants. Now, the incomes that are available in the greater Bay Area are on the higher end of the scale, as is the cost to live here. And for those who are renting and who there's a, a large portion of the population that is not stepping into the buying market, they intend to rent and they intend to rent for a multitude of reasons. I talk with people all the time that say, I just would like to know what I qualify for, but I don't know that home ownership is for me. And we walk through all of the what ifs and maybes and potentials of opportunity. And for some people, they just are not prepared to do it. Now, I have the conversation with every buyer who says that their reason for not wanting to buy is that they are afraid of home ownership and they're afraid of it because it's such a big commitment. Now, the first question I always ask is, well, how many times have you been evicted for not paying your rent? And of course they laugh and they say, well, none. Um, but for those people, it's the overall big picture of how that large loan amount looms over them at night. And in that, they just can't get out from underneath that, the total amount that they owe. And they're not able to look at the monthly manageability of the payments that are going to be theirs to make every single month. For some other people, it's really a matter of they don't want to be responsible. They don't want to be responsible for the maintenance, for the upkeep, for managing. They like the ease of being able to call somebody and say, hey, I've got a problem or um, you know, my, the pipe burst, the garage door won't close, that bush over there is dying. 
They like that opportunity. And so those are the people who happily stay in the renting population. But we also have a large student population. And across the greater Bay Area, there are an influx of students that come every year and create a higher rental pool. Now, the UC systems produces a lot of students in the greater Bay Area that take on a lot of student debt. Most of these students have qualifying guarantors on their rentals, on their leases. They have a parent or a guardian who's signing the lease for them. And this is why the Bay Area is going to always remain a strong place for investment properties, because there's always going to be both a student population and a working faction to the rental market. In that, owning an investment property and financing the investment property has never been easier. There are so many flexible loan options out there in the market that are going to be suited for all manner of buyers. Now, it's true, an investment property is going to generally require a higher credit score. I say generally because having a lower credit score is going to make it cost prohibitive for some people. The price point in the Bay Area is obviously already elevated, so we have to be cognizant of that. The down payment is generally higher than if you were making a purchase of a primary residence. There are down payment programs for investment properties with as little as 20%. Now, there is one caveat that I'll give you to that. There's one investment loan opportunity that allows a 15% purchase price, a purchase down payment. And that is for a renovation loan as an investment property. That is going to allow for you to have 15% of the purchase price plus the cost of renovation, 15% total. For some people, that's a great opportunity to get their foot in the door with a lower down payment and acquire that property to make some improvements to it so that it is suitable for renters and is available for them as an investment. They've now built in more equity to the property by closing on it and making that property nicer or more habitable or maybe just more conducive to tenants. And from there, they have the ability to continue to negotiate their finances refinance into a different type of loan product once they've gained more equity and continue to look at those investments, but on not such an everyday basis like we see people doing with, say, the stock market. So for those of you who are looking to make an investment and maybe pull some of that funds that you have presently in the stock market and park it someplace where it's a tangible aspect that you can drive to and point your finger at and say, that's the house that we own. It's a great opportunity for you to feel confident that the market that you have purchased into is something that you have visual contact with or something that you feel like you understand more. For some people, watching the stock market seems so far off and something that they don't really have a strong grasp of, but the real estate market seems a little bit more easily digestible. So I encourage anyone who's looking at how to move their money into ways that makes them either feel more confident or feel more um, accessible, that they have something that they could easily put their finger on it and sell should they need to, real estate is definitely something to take a look at. And again, those flexible lending options are going to really help you get your foot in the door. If you are considering an investment property purchase, there is a few pieces of information I would love to give you. Reach out to me by phone, 831-435-0385 or email Nisha, N-E-S-H-A at Essex Mortgage. This is Mortgage Matters with Nisha and we'll take a short break. It's Mortgage Matters with Misha. Once again, here's Misha Dimitruk. All right. 
Let's talk about the various loan types that are available in the market and the different down payments that are required. Now, there's some standard loan products that are used you know, pretty much across the board, across the country. And so for now, we're going to stick with loans that require you to prove your income and your asset, full documentation loans, they are called. Uh, so we'll get to the non-QM or alternative lending products in our next segment. Uh, as far as minimum down payment with USDA, that's the United States Department of Agriculture, they allow property specific approval. Now there's a large portion of California that falls into USDA eligible properties. And it's on, again, property specific, but the down payment requirement is zero. Now most USDA eligible properties are in considered rural markets. That might not necessarily mean just the middle of absolute nowhere, but not in a city proper. So again, that unincorporated area of many, many counties within our region. 0% down payment. That's a pretty impressive opportunity. Conventional loans for first-time home buyers, they are going to be at 3.5%. If you've already owned a home in the last three and a half years, or you've had a home ownership in the last three and a half years, you'd be held to a minimum of 5%. If you haven't owned a home in the last three and a half years, but you have owned in your lifetime, you are once again considered a first-time home buyer. I know. Interesting. FHA, Federal Housing Authority, 3.5% down payment. VA loans for all of our active duty and veterans, military, 0% down payment. Now, for those of you who are eligible for VA loans, you may have heard in the past that there was a limit to what your purchase power was with 0% down, and that has changed. There is now no limit to what a veteran can purchase um, as with no down payment. There are, I have seen multi-million dollar VA loans out there in the market. So you know, please don't be shy. If you are privileged to that benefit, first and foremost, we here at Essex Mortgage always like to thank you for your service, um, but we will also want to make sure that you know the opportunities available to you. Now, with those minimum down payments, there's obviously going to be some other pieces to the puzzle. If you have less than 20% equity when you close on the transaction, you will have mortgage insurance or a mortgage insurance-like payment. USDA has a payment that is like mortgage insurance. It's participation in that housing program. The cost for their mortgage insurance-like payment is less than what you would find in FHA and in conventional lending. Conventional lending allows for competition for the mortgage insurance. And so there are a multitude of mortgage insurance companies that can be shopped in order to find you the best mortgage insurance rates. Now, take into consideration that mortgage insurance in a conventional loan is very heavily weighed on the credit scores of the applicants and the debt to income of the application as a whole. So, um, and always everything in this industry, for the most part in traditional lending, is going to be weighted on the lower of the two credit scores. We're going to look at all three credit scores for each applicant, the middle score for each of them, and then the lower becomes the qualifier. In FHA, they have one source. It's a government-backed loan, and the mortgage insurance is determined and provided one time by the government. So there's no opportunity to shop for that. While conventional lending might afford better competition in mortgage insurance, the interest rates are slightly higher. In 
FHA, the interest rates are slightly lower and the mortgage insurance cost is a little bit higher. It generally comes out in the wash. It's really just about which product is required or serves the best needs of a buyer who is looking to make that purchase. In VA financing, there is no mortgage insurance, so there's no need for there to be any additional expense there. If you are not certain what type of loan option would best suit your needs or which one helps you capture a property, this is where talking with your loan advisor before you go shopping is going to be your best friend. Finding out after you have already seen a property that you just must have and trying to figure out how you're going to finance that property is added stress that you just don't need. I really encourage you to take a look at your formal qualification information early, understand it, ask all the questions, begin making the payment as if you are in the home and owning it right now. It will save you time and heartache in the long run. We're going to take another break and we'll be back in just a moment. This is Mortgage Matters with Misha with financial services expert, Misha Dimitruk. All right. In our last segment, we went over down payment for loan type when traditional financing. So in this segment, we'll talk about the various loan options that are out there. And I'm there are really so many of them out there that it's going to be hard for me to touch on all of them in such a short period of time. But I will lead with this, that the more flexible the lending product, the difference in interest rate and every step out of the traditional lending qualifications an application has, the different the interest rate will be. So for those people, when their credit score comes in lower, the interest rate goes higher or the cost for that interest rate goes higher. I saw an, um, an investor today who was offering loans with credit scores down to 350. Now, there are opportunities for people with really low credit scores to get loans. And there are circumstances where that may apply for someone if they've been through some sort of hardship um, and they're just coming back to rebuilding their credit. That's a very low credit score. If credit scores range from 350 to 850, 350 means you're barely registering. Um, and, and that can have a home. The interest rate on that, I, I didn't dig into it all the way. I, I marked it to go back and look at it later. But the interest rate on that would have to make sense for the buyer in that there has to be something that they're doing in order to getting themselves back to a better credit position so they can refinance in, in the short period of time in order to mitigate the cost associated with that. But that loan in itself was for a debt service loan. And we talk about those loans a lot here on this show um, for investors specifically. Typically, investor loans require a higher credit score to show that you have the financial savvy to be able to manage your investments. Now, in that, there are other loan options that will allow you to put less than 20% down, as we talked about before, in an investment property. There are loans that will allow you to put 10% and sometimes even 5% down on a primary residence. Again, they come with other additions to it. The lower the down payment, the more months of reserves they might want to see or the higher the cost for a, a market interest rate. Now, I priced out a scenario for a gentleman the other day looking to make a purchase on a jumbo transaction. Now, jumbo in the Bay Area is any loan amount over that $970-$600 amount, so not a huge stretch considering that the median home price in the Bay Area is $1.54 million. So for those people out there who are wondering how they can get their foot in the door without having to put 20% down, even in a jumbo purchase, 
it is possible. The backside to that is the interest rate is going to be higher. And there are for lesser interest rates if you can show a sizable amount of reserves. Now, reserves are funds that are held in your arsenal somewhere, in your portfolio that typically are liquid, something you can touch if you need to, but that you don't plan to bring to the transaction. So having that kind of flexibility will give you the opportunity to have a limited down payment. In the options for limited down payment, oftentimes we're finding that there's restrictions when it comes to property types. Condo financing has been a hot button issue for the last several months because the realization that condos are managed by the people who own there, and they're not necessarily professional management groups, but rather they are individual homeowners who would like to participate in how the complex that they live in is managed and, and the maintenance is taken care of and it's governed. And in that, the realization that maybe it's not governed as an investor would like to see it, or it's not managed, the maintenance specifically is not managed as someone who's lent money on those projects would like to see it. The restrictions for condo financing have been getting larger and larger. And the opportunity to purchase properties with those types of restrictions is still available, but it can really play into the type of financing available. Um, in looking at the different down payments that are available, we are still seeing that you can minimize that down payment from the standard 20%, but lots of different things come into play there. Are there any issues with how the, the condo complex was organized as a whole? Have they sold a certain number of units to any one individual? That's one of the big hot button items. Um, if someone has a monopoly of ownership on a building, they likewise could imagine to have a big portion of say in how the organization is run when things are voted on based on ownership. And so the realization that that might sway a homeowners association on what is going to be done or how something is going to be managed or mitigated is definitely a real prospect. And so understanding how each type of property that you're looking at is going to provide you with financing options is definitely key. Now, again, that doesn't mean that there aren't financing options out there for you. What we want to know for all of these types of options is, is this something we're going to have to keep forever because it's unlikely to ever change? You're, you're not going to be able to convince Mr. Buyer who owns 25 of 40 units in one condo complex that he should sell to make the other units more easily financed for their owners or prospective owners. But if it's a matter of you know, how are things being managed? How is the maintenance being addressed? Are there needs that are being met? Are the reserves for the condo complex sufficient in order to meet the, the membership, or excuse me, the maintenance needs on the property? So in that, there are other options. And, and I say this continuously because I want everyone to really understand the benefit here. It's not always about putting 20% down. There are a lot of different sets of circumstances. There are even investment opportunities again, like I've spoken of, that were 15% down, 20% even non-renovation loans. Those are going to allow you a opportunity to purchase and keep your reserves because that's something else that is generally required in investment property ownership is reserves on, if it's a debt service loan, at least the subject property and the minimum would be six months of principal interest taxes and insurance. And of course, any applicable homeowners association dues. And then from there, giving you additional opportunity to buy down an interest rate. And we talk about buying down a lot on this show. The advantage of buying down in a purchase is that that's prepaid mortgage interest, the same benefit as you would receive if you were 
paying on a monthly basis. In a refinance, the benefit is spread out over the life of the loan. So if you've spent $10,000 on buying down on your interest rate in order to make that more affordable or provide you better cash flow on a monthly basis, that $10,000 in buying down would be doled out to you in tax benefit over the life of your 30-year loan. So incrementally every year for 30 years. So definitely something to take into consideration there. If you are considering a purchase, if you need to understand how you can get your foot in the door and understand what options you have, aside from just the standard 20% down and 80% financing, now is the time to take a look at that so that you know where your power position is if you needed to stretch on that budget. We're going to take a break and come back with this week's challenge. It's Mortgage Matters with Misha. Once again, here's Misha Dimitruk. All right, today's challenge. Now, for those of you who are new to the show, I do a weekly challenge where I ask for your participation. And I'm, I'm sincerely asking you um, something that I think will trigger you to reach out, give me your feedback on it. So today's challenge is for those of you who are still wanting to make an investment, who are wanting to purchase, whether it's an investment property, a primary residence, a second home, whatever the case may be, I want to help you get there and I want you to understand your purchase power. So today we're going to talk about improving your personal cash flow so that you get to a place where you are in a better position to finance. Or even if you have closed on a property and you're finding that that payment is, uh, or maybe even the expenses associated with the payment that you made is stretching you a little bit. Let's take a look at how we can improve that for you with some basic tips on just the finances that you already have. So have you assessed your credit cards? For anybody out there who has debt right now, take a look at those interest rates. Have you contacted your institutions? Have you asked them to reduce your interest rate? This is something that not a lot of people know to do. It's not something that people do readily. But if you have a good credit history, it is very plausible that you would actually be subject to a better interest rate if you just requested it. Additionally, those auto loans out there, for anyone who's been monitoring the auto loan market, if you have a used car and you have financing on it, definitely take a look at whether or not you could refinance into a better situation. Now, if that means lessening your monthly payment or reducing your interest rate, it depends on your specific set of circumstances. But in maximizing that cash flow, it may be beneficial to spread that loan out over again. And the interest rate that you might be privileged to might even be better than the one that you had. So again, there isn't anything in your financial world that is truly set it and forget it. It's really not just the environment that we live in any longer. So it's important that you look at these aspects of your life and how you can adjust them continuously for your benefit. The last thing I always advise people to take a look at is the things that we put on auto pay. The things we put on auto pay and sometimes forget. Do you know you still have a Netflix account? Are you actually using it? Did you sign up for some sort of a viewing membership? Did you sign up for a continuous charitable donation? All of these things that get put onto auto pay, whether they're on your credit account or whether they're direct from a checking account, it's important for you to monitor them continuously. Find out if the cost increased. Find out if you're outside your contract. Uh, even as far as the subscriptions that people pay for, whether it's a health and beauty service, whether it's a music service, all of these types of things add up. And it's really important that we continuously monitor them for their efficacy. Are they bringing us benefit in our lives? And if not, get rid of them 
And then it's secondarily for the cost associated because sometimes the cost changes. And with the amount of emails that everyone gets in their lives, if you have something on auto pay, very likely that you got a notification that just went into email nowhere land. And now you didn't know that that was gonna cost you five cents, seven, 19, $25 more a month. People deal with this very frequently. And it's something that I want everyone to be aware of. So please take a look at those things that you are paying on now and see if you can make improvement for your financial life so that you can continue to enjoy your life and pay for the things that you use to make your life wonderful, but maybe lessen the expense on them just a little bit. As always, I am here to help you understand how you can personally strategize for your best benefit, for your purchase, for your refinance, for your future property acquisition. So I encourage you to give me a call, 831 835-0385 or email Nisha, N-E-S-H-A at EssexMortgage.com. This show rebroadcasts tomorrow between 2 and 3, Sunday and 3 and 4. Be well and stay safe, Bay Area.